Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. In Him I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Now, the King James Version says it a little bit differently. It says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So there were reasonings and doctrines and teachings um, at a certain stage um, that I did not agree with that came from this, this particular translation that says we, you know, we have the faith, faith of Christ. In other words, you don't even have your own faith. But, you know, everything that happens is it's Jesus' faith that now produces something like uh, you, don't, you don't do anything. You know, like the whole inclusion thing, the whole, the whole uh, doctrine of, of uh, inclusion and universalism. Those, both those doctrines. They basically want to destroy people doing things by faith. Because they said, now, faith now in the new is now legalism. It's not true. You can, you can, we operate by faith. We are saved by grace through faith, which is not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Okay, so the faith and the grace is a gift of God. Okay, but I want you to realize that we, are, we have the, f- the same faith that was in the Son of God, as opposed to the faith which was in Abraham. There's a difference. Okay, so it's not the faith of God as opposed to my faith. No, it's the faith of God as opposed to the faith of Abraham. Okay. It's a different quality. It's a different kind of faith. Okay. The stand says, All who depend on the law, who are seeking to be justified by obedience to the law of rituals, are under a curse and doomed to disappointment and destruction. For it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed be everyone who does not continue to abide by all the precepts, and commandments written in the book of the law and to practice them. Now it is evident that no person is justified through the law. For the scripture says, The man in right standing with God, the just, the righteous, shall live by and out of faith. And he who through and by faith is declared righteous and in right standing with God shall live. In what we read, But the law does not rest on faith, does not require faith, has nothing to do with faith. For it itself says, He who does them, the things prescribed by the law, shall live by them and not by faith. Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse of the law and its condemnation, by himself becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree who is crucified. To the end that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessings promised to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, so that we through faith might all receive the realization of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I can say concerning this, that the blessings promised to Abraham, Abraham did not see all the blessings promised to Abraham. We have the blessings now promised to Abraham. Okay? So Abraham just saw it afar off. We will look at it it now in in, uh, Hebrews 11. Now the promises, verse 16, were decreed and made to Abraham and his seed. He, God, does not say unto seeds as if referring to many persons, but and to your seed, obviously referring to one individual who is none other than Christ. Okay, so Abraham waited for things to come. Christ is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. We are in Christ. We are sons of God. We are not sons of Abraham, we are sons of God. Because he is the seed promised to Abraham. But we are in Him. We are born from Him, not from Abraham. Okay? So, yes it is that Abraham is the father of faith. But his faith was, was, God said, go into a different country. And he moved. God said, do this. And he did. But he did not see the fulfillment of what God promised him. That only came at the cross. And at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And now we have the fruit of that which was promised to Abraham. We are born of God. We are sons of God. Okay. So John chapter 1 says, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as to many as did receive Him, gave He uh, the power to become sons of God, as many as believed on His name. 
So we don't believe in Abraham, we believe in Jesus. So Abraham was an awesome guy. He was an awesome guy. I mean, but if you read Galatians chapter 4, just the next version, Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, one by the bondwoman. And now Galatians 4 says this is an allegory. Speaking of two covenants, the one was the, uh, the product of human effort, and the one was born by virtue of the promise. Okay, now it says these two are an allegory, but it says, let's see uh, where it says it. Verse 24, now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai where the law was given and bears children for slavery. This is Hagar. Okay, so Hagar was the bondwoman. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and she corresponds to and belongs to the same category with the present Jerusalem for she is in bondage together with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free <laughs> and she is our mother now you'll see who is this mother of ours for it is written in the scriptures rejoice O barren woman who has not given birth to children break forth into a joyful shout you who are not feeling birth pangs for the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband but he but we brethren are children not by physical descent as was Ishmael but like Isaac, born in virtue of promise. Yet just as at that time, the child of ordinary birth, born according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit, so it is now also. Okay, so those who are in the flesh who say we are children of Abraham, those who, are, who stand on their flesh birth, they will always persecute those who, who were born remarkably according to the promise by the, by the Holy Spirit. Okay. But what does the scripture say? Cast out and send away the slave woman and her son. For never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. Okay, so remember, these two women are an allegory. Bond free. That's what it's about. It's not about the physical sons of Isaac and the physical sons of Ishmael. It, it was an allegory. It now speaks of those born according to the flesh and who stand on the fleshly things and those who are born remarkably according to the promise by the aid of the Holy Spirit. Okay, which speaks of spiritual, supernatural things. Okay, so now, just the last verse. So brethren... We who are born again are not children of a slave woman, the natural, but of the free, the supernatural. Okay, so Jerusalem from above is our mother, the supernatural. Okay, so that, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as to many as received him, gave he the power to become sons of God, as many as believed on his name, who owe their birth, neither to the will of the flesh, to the will of man, the impulse of man, but to God. They are born of God. Other translations, they are born from above. From what above? From Jerusalem above, which is free. Okay, so now 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. So if the freedom of the Holy Spirit is in a certain place, things are ready for the word seed to enter and bring conception and new birth takes place. So if the information is brought in an academic way and there is no spirit, there is no rebirth either. So I'm not against the academic world, not at all. I think it's, it's wonderful and it's fantastic. But you cannot replace the function of the Holy Spirit, the relationship with the Holy Spirit, with knowledge that people teach from doctrine books. You cannot replace it. Okay. So rebirth is something that happens, which is a fulfillment of the promise, when the Holy Spirit, the seed word of God, enters. Okay, so... The seed is the word of God. Okay? 
It says in, in 1 Peter 1, We are born again, regenerated, not from a mortal or a corruptible seed, but from one which is immortal and incorruptible. If you, if you put the King James and the Amplified together. Okay? By the ever-living Word of God. So the Word is the seed or the, the sperm from which we are born. Alright? The Word, seed, comes into the freedom of the Spirit and we are reborn. Alright? We are born from above. Alright? From Jerusalem above, and she is our mother, and she is free. <laughs> Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. So if the Spirit is there, and now the Word is preached, the Spirit and the Word together, reborn. Okay? If the Word is not preached, but law, then the Spirit will not be there either. But if a letter of grace is preached, without Spirit, there will not be... They will, will not be rebirth. Okay. So Paul said, I want to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Alright? And my words were not with human eloquence or human wisdom. For they were, my words were, in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power Okay, so now in the, in, the King, in, the, in the Amplified Version in brackets, he says, I quoted it earlier, he says, Stirring in the minds of my hearers, most holy emotions, and thus persuading me. So when the Spirit word is preached, something happens. You are changed as you hear it. It enters your heart and you feel different. Okay, what happened? The Spirit was there. The word entered your heart and there was... There's a manifestation of the Son of God. Okay. The Son of God, He was called the Christ, right? He's still called the Christ, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. The word Christ means anointing, to be rubbed upon or smeared upon. The, the word Christos in the Greek means to be smeared upon or rubbed upon, referring to the oil of the anointing, okay? Which means... The Spirit of the Lord is upon and within Him. He is anointed. He is the Christ. So now, after we have received the Holy Spirit, we are anointed. We are sons of God through faith. We have the Spirit, the same Spirit, says Romans 8, that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit which was in Him, the very same Spirit, we now have. So we are Christian, which means one pertaining to Christ. So we are from Him. We are born from Him. We are born from the Spirit. So John chapter 3 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay, so we have received rebirth from the ever-living Word, which was brought to us, with the Holy Spirit, we are born again. Okay. Just to bring the connection with the Word, which is the Gospel of Jesus and the Spirit, with rebirth again. Okay. Remember in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius had a vision. The angel appeared to Cornelius and he said, Send for, for Peter and he will tell you what you need to know. And Peter was there on the rooftop and he became hungry and he fell into a trance and he had a vision of food. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the cloth came and there were these animals that he was not supposed to eat according to the law and God said to him kill and eat he said no Lord I've never eaten an unclean thing God said to him three times it happened he said do not defile what I have cleansed by regarding it as unclean okay so the cloth went up into heaven and he woke up and, and the Holy Spirit he was thinking about these things the Holy Spirit said to him go down because there are three a couple of people coming uh, they look for you and you must, go without, uh, you must go with them without hesitation. Okay, and they were Gentiles. Jews were not supposed to have any fellowship with Gentiles. Okay, so what happened was they, they came and they stayed the night. The next day he went with them to, to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius was a Gentile. 
Now, Cornelius said, listen, this is what happened. The angel spoke to me, and uh, you now need to teach me something that I need to know to get saved. So, you know, he had the vision and everything, right? So God must have now declared the Gentiles holy. (laughs) So he said to them, he spoke, you know, of Jesus Christ. Acts 10 verse 3, how, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And he kept on speaking of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then afterwards, he said, verse 43, verse 44, he said, Of him all the prophets testify that those who trust in him receives forgiveness of their sins. Okay, so there's the gospel preached. And while he was yet speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell on them all. And they spoke in other tongues. Okay, so what happened was, the word was brought. There was a whole orchestration to make this thing happen. I mean, Cornelius sat there and he saw an angel, uh, and the angel told him what to do. The angel didn't bring him the gospel. An angel is not counted worthy enough to bring the gospel. It's only given to people. To people who believe. Okay? So, even an angel is not worthy to bring the gospel. Okay? That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, even if an angel brings a a different opposing doctrine to you, that's different to the one that we brought to you, let him be accursed. Even if I myself come and say something different, whoever brings something different, let him be accursed. Okay, that's strong words. <laughs> okay, so Peter brought the gospel to him. All right, Gentiles, they believed, filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. What was brought to them? The Word. Okay, now the very last verse of First Peter 1 says, The Word is the gospel which was preached to you. Okay, so the gospel preached with the Holy Spirit brings us to a place where we are born of God. Then we are sons of God through faith. Okay, so being sons of God, we are no longer sons of Abraham. We have been reborn. Okay, so we as Gentiles, we're never, we we weren't sons of Abraham, we were Gentiles. Okay, (laughs) we were the wild people in the mountains you know <laughs> we weren't we weren't the special chosen ones okay so so um even among the physical descent of abraham there were the, the two the one born according to the flesh and the one born according to the promise okay so that speaks of those who believe and those who do not believe okay so it is an allegory all that was fulfilled in christ jesus so we do not now come and say, okay, well, this nation is now more special because they have this bloodline and they are born from their physical sons of Abraham. No, nonsense. And if we believe, we are not the spiritual sons of Abraham. Christ was born remarkably according to the promise. Christ was the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. We are born of God. (laughs) Christ was the son of God. He was not called the son of Abraham. According to the flesh, if you check Romans chapter 1, he was called the son of David. Now, verse 3. The gospel regarding his son, who as to the flesh, his human nature, was descending from David. And as to the divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, was openly designated the son of God in power, in a striking, triumphant, and miraculous manner. Okay, so... Don't worry about, you know, it's, it's maybe not such a, such a big deal to you, but just realize this. You are, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are called Son of God. Okay, so that's what you need to know now. All right, so there is a natural way of believing, and there is a, a way which is higher than that. When God, Christ himself comes and indwells us. Okay, and there is something, a gift of faith that he puts inside you which will make you operate with faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. Not faith in, if I do this, what God tells me now, then one day, if I persevere long enough, one day I will have it, you know, and I will just push through and just go on one day. You know, like Abraham, he pushed through and one day, one day. No, 
That's what he said. We now are born. We now have the promise. We now have the fulfillment promise to Abraham. Okay? We are not looking for a city like Abraham. We are the city. You know? Okay. You are the city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. We are not waiting for a city. We are the city. Abraham was waiting for a city. Now. Not then. Now. <laughs> Faith is the assurance, the confirmation, <clears throat> the title deed of things we hope for. Being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. King James says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So things hoped for are things not seen. That's what Romans 8 also says. How can you hope for something that you already see? Okay. <laughs> All right. So if you have a hope of something that's going to happen, and you act as if that thing is sure and it's coming now, you are acting in faith. If you believe that the thing which you hope for is true, and you act as if it is true, then you are acting in faith. It's simple. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, my faith action brings me to a place where the unseen becomes seen. Okay, so for instance, I let's let's take this. Let's take this example, money. If you are expecting money to come in from a certain contract, but you know it's supposed to come in, and you had an arrangement with with someone, the money will be paid in on a specific date. You have a hope that the money will be there and it will be available in your bank account on that date. So what do we then do? We don't strain ourselves to convince ourselves that it is like that. We arrange our things because we are getting money that day. Okay, so it's a hope. It's still unseen. It's not there yet. But we know it's coming. So, you know, we do things already. Okay? So it's like a check, that money paid into your account by a check again. This week again, some, someone, I don't know who, bless that person, paid money into my personal account with a check, so it has to lay there a couple of days. So I know the money is there, but that money is not available yet. It's just a hope. Okay. <laughs> Sometime when the waiting period is gone, you know, there will be... Okay, so a hope means... I know something is coming, but it's not there yet. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. So I do something because I believe the hope. So hope is important. You can't have faith without hope. Impossible. <laughs> now we have, not then, now we have this hope. As a sure, of steadfast, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So your soul don't have to shake and freak out. You have a sure and steadfast anchor. It cannot slip. It cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it. So you step, when you step out on hope, you're acting in faith. A hope that reaches farther and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. Where Jesus has entered in for us in advance, a forerunner having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now what is this hope that he's speaking about that we have now? Verse 13. For when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, saying, Blessing I certainly will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Okay, 
And so it was that Abraham, having waited long and endured patiently, realized and obtained in the birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come, what God had promised him. So Isaac did come, and he waited long. But it was a pledge of the fulfillment of the promise. It wasn't still the allegory. The fulfillment was Christ, the Son of God, coming. Okay? So now, did Christ come? So is in blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Is it ours already? Yes. Okay? So we don't have to wait for something to be fulfilled. We, we are acting as if we already have the hope. As if it's fulfilled now. So our action is not waiting for something to come. Our action is moving as if it has come. There's a different faith. Abraham waited and it was faith. If we now wait, it's not faith. We now move because it's already come. Okay? For by faith, the men of old had divine testimony born to them and obtained a good report. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed and fashioned and put in order and equipped for the intended purpose by the word of God. So that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. So God said, let there be light. And there was light. Okay? God said it. Was there light? No. Did God have a hope of light? Yes, because he thought it. <laughs> so he just said, let there be light. He called the things which are not as though they were. Bam. There it is. Not later, not one day later, then there came light. It came when he said. Okay. By f so God's faith by which he operates is a bit different than... Abraham's long time waiting faith. Okay? By faith we understand that we read that. This fall. Prompted and actuated by faith, Abel brought God a better and more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, because of which it was testified of him that he was righteous, that he was upright and in right standing with God. And God bore witness by accepting and acknowledging his gifts. And then he died. Yet through the incident he's still speaking. But without faith, it is impossible to please God, be satisfactory to Him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists. Okay, so I, my old story, um, if you believe that God exists, which God exists? Who is it that exists? Who is this I am that you believe in? Is He the giver of all tornadoes? Is He the... The giver of all sicknesses. If he, is he the bringer of all destruction? No. So if you come to a God in your mind that has that character, you're not coming to the right guy. You're believing it's a, like they said in legal terms, error in persona. It's like you got the wrong guy. <laughs> so when we come to God, we must believe that he is now, who is he? He is good. His mercy endures forever. There is no evil in him. His God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. Okay. And that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So if you seek an evil God, you're not going to get a reward. <laughs> if you seek a God who is good to you, you know, every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from, from, above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning, James chapter 1. Okay? Then you will get a reward. I love Psalm 57 verse 2. I don't can't remember. I think recently we spoke about it as well. It says, I will cry to God most high, who performs on my behalf and rewards me. I think that's a good deal. <laughs> God performs on your behalf and He rewards you, okay? So when we come to that kind of a good God, we realize who He is, we will get a reward. Okay. Urged by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went forth to a place which was destined to receive an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was to go. 
So it's an awesome thing that he did. Prompted by faith, he dwelt as a temporary resident in the land which was designated in the promise of God. Though he was like a stranger in the strange country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow like people say, oh no, we like Abraham, we're just passing through. We're just passing. We're not heirs, we're not owning any, anything here on earth. We're just passing through. For he was waiting expectantly and confidently looking forward to the city which has fixed and firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's us. Because of faith, also Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child. She was over 100 years old. Even when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God, who had given her promise, to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. So from one man, though he was physically as good as, as dead, there have sprung descendants whose number is, is as the stars of heaven and as countless as the innumerable sands of the seashore. The two, the two, the two seeds again. You know, one promise was the stars of heaven, the one according to the flesh, the sand of the seashore. These people all died, <laughs> controlled and sustained by their faith, but not having received. Oh my goodness. They all died. Sustained by their faith, but not having received the tangible fulfillment of God's promises, only having seen it and greeted it from a great distance by faith, and all the while acknowledging and confessing that they were strangers and temporary residents and exiles upon the earth. If they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. That's an awesome scripture for anyone. Okay? But the truth is that they were yearning for and aspiring to a better and a more desirable country that is a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God, even to be surnamed their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, in the New Testament, you do not hear of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The last mention of that was in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was stoned. The fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies. Okay? In the New Testament, he is called the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 38. Men of whom the world was not worthy roaming over the desolate places in the mountains and living in caves and caverns and holes of the earth. And all of these, though they won divine approval by means of their faith, did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised. Now listen. Because God had us in mind and had something better and greater in view for us so that they should not come to perfection apart from us. Let me read the King James Version. You'll, you'll catch it when we read Hebrews 12. Okay? And, all, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Okay? They were looking for the city. We are the city. For you have not come. Say, I did not come. As did the Israelites in the wilderness. To a material mountain that can be touched. A mountain that is ablaze with fire and to gloom and darkness and a raging storm. Praise God I didn't come to that mountain. And to the blast of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the listeners beg that nothing more be said to them. Okay, now that's Exodus, you know, 19, where the, where the um, Israelites came to the mountain, you know, where the law was given. It was a frightening sight. This cloud on this mountain and there was thunders and stuff and even if a... Even if a Goat touched the mountain, it had to be stoned to death. Even Moses said, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. But rather, 
You have come to Mount Zion, even to the city of the living God. You are the city. The heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless multitudes of angels in festal gatherings. So the angels are not bringing the law now and making everyone afraid and just rumbles and thunders. It's now a festal gathering. We did not come to that mountain. We have come to another mountain. We did not come to the first covenant of flesh, the woman of bondage. We came to the free. We are not born from bondage of the natural, but from the supernatural, which is freedom, from the heavenly Jerusalem. Now just hear that. Just think of Galatians 4 while we read this. But rather you have come to Mount Zion, even to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless multitudes of angels and festival gathering, and to the church of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven, and to the God who is judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. So who are the spirits of the righteous? They were justified by faith. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the stuff, all the people, Noah you know, and Enoch and all the people that we read of in, in Hebrews 12. And it's not an exhaustive, exhaustive list. There's many more. Okay? We have come to the church of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven and to the God who is the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous, the redeemed in heaven, who have been made perfect. Now just go to the last verse of Hebrews chapter 11 again. Because God has us in mind and had something better and greater in view for us so that they, the heroes and heroines of faith, should not come to perfection apart from us. Without us should not be made perfect. Now if they were made perfect, if we have come to the mountain of the spirits of the righteous made perfect, it means we have been made perfect with them because they could not be made perfect without us. Because God had something greater, something better in view for us. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10. We've read this one a million times. For by a single offering He has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. So who are those? Verse 10. And in accordance with this will of God, we have been made holy, consecrated, sanctified through the offering made once for all of the body of Jesus Christ. How did all this happen? How were, how were we perfected and they were perfected with us? What was the moment where it all happened? Verse 9, He then went on to say, Behold, here I am, coming to do your will. Thus He does away with and annuls the first as a means of expiating sin. You know, the old, the slave woman. So that he might inaugurate and establish the second latter order, which is the Jerusalem from above, which is the mountain, Mount Zion that we have come to, the church of the firstborn. We have come to the saints made perfect. The New Testament, okay? God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As many as received him, gave you power to become sons of God. Okay, so now, let's read on. And to Jesus, the mediator, a go-between, an agent of a new covenant, that word there is testament, the Atheke, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of mercy, of a better and a nobler and a more gracious message than the blood of Abel which cried out for vengeance. Okay, so Cain killed Abel. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. When was that vengeance executed? At the cross. Jesus took it upon Himself. Now there's, His blood was sprinkled in heaven. We have come to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of mercy. So now there's another blood crying from heaven. Mercy. Mercy. Blood crying from the earth. Blood shed by Abel. Vengeance. Vengeance. We have not come to that mountain on earth. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the Mount Zion, which is from above. Okay. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Verse 25. So see to it that you do not reject him who refuse or refuse to listen to and heed him who is speaking to you now. Who is that? 
God speaking from heaven, sprinkled blood which cries of mercy. For if they, the Israelites, did not escape, now, now he's back at the old mountain, if they did not escape when they refused to listen to and heed him who warned and divinely instructed him here on earth, that old mountain, the terrifying mountain, revealing with heavenly warnings his will, how much less shall we escape if we reject and turn our backs on him who cautions and admonishes us from heaven? So what is he saying from heaven? Mercy. 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 If we don't take this, there is nothing left that can save us. <sighs> Mercy. Mercy. If we don't heed this word which comes from heaven, this warning, believe the mercy, believe the mercy. If we don't heed this, how should we escape? What else do we have that can save us? <laughs> so he just said, we did not come to the mountain, that the terrifying mountain with all the law stuff. We have come to Mount Zion with sprinkled blood speaking from heaven of better things and more nobler testament than the blood of Abel which cried for vengeance. Okay? So God says, mercy, mercy, mercy. If we reject His call of mercy, His call to believe in His grace and His mercy, the blood of Jesus Christ, what else is there to save us? Okay? Then at, the Mount, at Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he has given a promise. Yet once more I will shake and make tremble not only the earth, but also the starry heavens. So there's a shaking coming. Now this expression, yet once more, indicates the final removal. Because it's only once more. The final removal and transformation of all that can be shaken. That is, of that which has been created in order that we cannot that what, what cannot be shaken may remain and continue. Let us therefore receiving a kingdom that is firm and stable and cannot be shaken. Offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with modesty and pious care and godly fear and awe. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. Okay. King James verse 28. Wherefore we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. So this kingdom, Jesus said, so must you pray. Must. So must you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. <laughs> Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He did not say, Thy kingdom come and snatch us away to heaven. He said, Thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. So what is kingdom? Romans 14. It's righteousness, peace, and joy now. What is kingdom? It's the sovereign will of God being exercised on this earth to subdue everything which is not of God so that that which can be shaken will be shaken and removed. That which cannot be shaken will remain. It did not say that which can be shaken shall be taken away. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. So we're moving nowhere. Because, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay. Let us have grace. I like the King James. Let us, wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Okay. So, this shaking is a word spoken from heaven of mercy. Mercy. Mercy shakes the very foundation of legalism. James chapter 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. 
So if someone is legalistic and points a finger and brings judgment to people, his whole doctrine is completely destroyed in one word, mercy. I give you mercy. If people come and, you know, and the accuser come and lines up all the accusations. And then the great judge comes and says, I give you pardon. Mercy. You are pardoned. Then the accuser can stand there with nothing. He cannot be fruitful in his endeavors to bring you to destruction. <laughs> what will happen is, his intention of judgment will be destroyed. Verse 10. According to the grace of God bestowed on me, like a skillful architect and master builder, I laid the foundation of the city. And now another man is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Remember, we're still with the shaking of the heavens and the earth, the, the doctrine that will shake everything. Okay? So be careful how you build upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there will no, not be other apostles laying a different foundation. The foundation has now been laid. But if anyone builds upon the foundation, whether it be with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each one will be, become plainly and openly known, shown for what it is. For the day of Christ will disclose and declare it, because it will be revealed with fire. Our God is indeed a consuming fire. And with fire will test and critically appraise the character and the worth of the work each person has done. If the work which any person has built on this foundation survives the test, he will get his reward. So it must be faith because those who believe comes to God and that he is a, a rewarder of, you know, they believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you come by faith, you will get your reward. But if any person's work is burned up, so it must be legalism because it's not faith, under the test, he will suffer the loss of it all, losing his reward, though he himself will be saved, but only as one who passed through fire. So he will be like someone plucked out of the fire. But everything, all his doctrines that he built on the foundation, gone. All, all his life's work, just gone. Burnt up. Okay? So he says, let us have grace whereby we can serve God acceptably. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. Okay. Do you not discern and understand that you are God's temple and that God's spirit has permanent dwelling in you? If anyone does hurt to God's temple and corrupts it with false doctrines or destroys it, God will do hurt to him and bring him to corruption of death and destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that temple you are. Okay, <laughs> it's harsh. <laughs> okay, so God does not want people to come with false doctrines and bring and build on the foundation with wood and stubble. If someone truly believes in Christ, but is just building with wood and stubble, it will be burnt up, but he will, himself will be he will himself be saved. Okay, but we can build with gold and silver and precious stones. We can build with the true revelation of the stuff that will last. We can build with stuff that cannot be shaken. So let, wherefore we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we can serve God acceptably. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. So when we preach, let's preach the kingdom. When we preach, let's stir the hearts of people to have faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, to operate by the faith that we have as sons of God, doing the things which God commanded us to do. Okay, so Abraham's faith led him to move to another country. The faith of the Son of God makes you lay hands on the sick, preach the gospel. That's the kingdom. Going to all the world and preach. The gospel of the kingdom. And these attesting signs will follow them that believe you. In my name, 
they will drive out demons. They will trample on lions and scorpions and snakes. They will take up serpents, will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. In other words, it's a supernatural life. That supernatural life brings a shaking to the things which cannot remain. What is the things that cannot remain? The things that we see on the earth now. Second Corinthians 4 says, this light momentary affliction is ever producing for us a greater weight of glory. As we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are deathless and everlasting. That does not mean all creation. I know it will be changed and it will receive a, an immortal, eternal like way, existence, whatever. But that's not what he's saying. The things that we now see in the earth manifested are temporal. He was speaking of suffering. He was speaking of hardship. He was speaking of sickness. He was just speaking of the work of the devil. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are unseen, what are those? The things that we have by faith from Christ that we now bring to the earth. Lay our hands on the sick and they recover. We preach the gospel. When people are saved, it is eternal. Okay. So unbelief, all this stuff, all the wickedness that we see in the world, it is temporal. It's temporary. Those born according to the flesh will always persecute those born according, remarkably according to the promise. Okay. So that which is seen will be shaken. So that that which will remain will remain and that which can be shaken can be shaken. So it means all destruction will be removed from the earth. It means all sickness will be removed from the earth. Let your kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Why? Because we did not come to the mountain with judgment and clouds and afraid people. But we have come to Mount Zion, to the church of the firstborn. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the saints made perfect. <laughs> we have come to a multitude of angels in festal gathering. Okay. Let your kingdom come. You know.